Welcome to the Recruitment Hackers Podcast, a show about innovations, technology, and leaders in the recruitment industry. Brought to you by TalkPush, the leading recruitment automation platform. Hello and welcome back to the Recruitment Hackers Podcast. I'm your host, Max Armbruster, and today I have the honor and privilege of hosting the legendary Craig Savage, who is a principal at the Savage Truth, uh, a great source of industry commentary on the recruitment the staffing world welcome to the show greg thank you max it's a pleasure to be here and i think you may have gone a bit big with the word legendary but fine let's start there why not <laughs> i was told it was legendary when i came down under i don't know if your brand recognition is uh as powerful in all time zones but certainly in my time zone it applies <laughs> well i mean i don't know about brand recognition or anything like that but prior to COVID, i used to go do a lot of speaking tours around the world. And if you watched the calendar of those speaking tours, it always seemed to coincide very fortunately with international rugby matches and football matches. But I could turn up in Manchester or Singapore or Cape Town and we would get three or 400 recruiters turning up. And it's actually a story I tell about brand because at the end of the day, I'm actually just an aging unemployed ex-recruiter and yet I can go to most cities in the world and people will turn up to listen and pay money. Still astounding. Amazing. So amazing. <laughs> well done. I, I must say I read that in your bio that you come from Cape Town, right? Originally, yes. Yes. I made my way to Cape Town or Joburg three years ago to the future of talent event. And it was on my bio I had San Francisco on it and that opened the doors to the front stage for me. And <laughs> Yeah, there was an international cachet to bringing in a CEO from an international destination. And I was too happy to latch on that. But yeah, I guess today the borders are down, the frontiers are down, and everybody can build their brand at the global level because even the advantage of being able to afford a plane ticket isn't an advantage anymore. So there's no more barriers to entry. That's true. The only barrier to entry to building a brand is that it's very, very hard work. And you've got to have a few things in your kit bag, including something useful to say and an ability to say it in an interesting way. And I mean, I think then, and if you're consistent and long-term, people often say to me, well, you're lucky, Greg, you've got this brand. Well, I've been blogging every week for 15 years, mate, 15 years. And videos and Twitter and LinkedIn. So it, it is hard work, but the rewards... You know, I try to teach my recruitment companies that I advise that there are, and recruiters, that there are fabulous rewards to amplify your brand. As long as your in real life brand is good, you can amplify it online. You can't finesse it, not long term anyway, because people will flame you and call you out if you're not, yeah. if you're not authentic, if you're not authentic. Yeah. So authenticity, okay. Prerequisite. How about having something interesting to say? Some people will, you know, maybe. Of course, most people don't have your experience or uh, humbly, I may say my experience, <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of that equation, right? I'm, mm. I've got 20 plus years of, of work experience myself. So for those in their twenties and thirties, the imposter syndrome must feel so overwhelming. Like, how do you have the balls to pardon my expression? Well, it's my show, so <laughs> I'll pardon it <laughs> to go out and start to, you know, brand yourself as a thought leader. Was there a special moment in, in your career where you, th you thought, okay, now I can start to, to take the front stage or, you know, how did this moment of revelation come to you? 
Well, I'm not a great example, but I've got some good... I mean, that's a great question you ask about authenticity and imposter syndrome and have I got something to say. Prior to building an online brand, I, you know, I've been in this so long, I'd spent many, many years you know, standing on stages at conferences and I already had a bit of kudos around having something to say or, or maybe that kudos was in my mind, but I thought I had something to say and I had a lot of experience even when the internet started. So it was a little bit easier for me, but to come to your point, Two little anecdotes. I, I often find myself walking down the street and a recruiter will stop me, someone I don't even know, and say, hey, I like your blog. And then I go, oh, that's great. And then they say, I don't actually agree with you. But what I like about it is I know it's your point of view. And I love the fact that you tell it the way you see it. And it gets me thinking. So mm. you don't have to always try and be, I'm not suggesting you be controversial or, or rude or anything like that. But people value authenticity. They value a point of view. That's the first thing. The second story is I was having that same conversation that you raised about, do you have the balls to do it, et cetera, with a young recruiter. Well, she wasn't, you know, she's experienced woman, couple of years experience as a recruiter. And I was talking to her about her brand. Yeah, the short version was that she believed she had nothing to say. The long, uh, and, and I asked her what her biggest bugbear was with her client. She said they're taking too slow to make decisions. And I said, that is an insight. That's a story. Just write two paragraphs. It was a LinkedIn post she wanted to write. She wrote a couple of paragraphs about how, while she accepts, while she encourages her clients to be thorough, we've got to move the process, otherwise we lose the best candidates, which is true. And it got traction and people commented. And I said, that's what we do. You do have insights. And, and my message to a lot of recruiters is you think you don't, but actually you're in the market 365 days of the year. You're talking to candidates every day. You're talk, you've got a view You've got a narrative. You've got a point of view that's valuable. And that's what I'd comment about. I see too many people on social media trying to be funny, trying to be provocative. I don't think that's the way to go. I think you've got to be adding value, which reflects on your expertise. So that, I think, is how we've got to build a brand in the professional field. There is something about a great family name, Mr. Savage. And you wrote that one <laughs> for a long time. I, I'm just reading the Elton John biography right now. He came up with that name because he thought he had a name that didn't work well to be a rock star. And, you know, I guess for me, that's your brand. You know, your brand is savage. Your blog is the savage truth. And it just is very punchy. It's uh, very direct. And that oh, works. You know, the, the, I didn't create my name like Elton John. My name wasn't Reggie Dwight. Uh, my name was Greg Savage from the very beginning. And I don't think my personality was formed around my name. I think it's just a good... If you've got a name like worked. Savage, people are going to ask questions about it, make jokes about it. And as I've encouraged my children to do is to embrace it because it's memorable. And in the case of the blog, it just seems like the obvious thing, right? It's the Savage yeah. truth. I like to speak directly and uh, that's what people like. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I was thinking about what you said for these recruiters who try to be funny instead of trying to be truthful sometimes or direct. I suppose the industry would tend to attract people who are pleasers, who want to be popular, who don't want to make enemies, as opposed to, you know, maybe truth tellers or people who embrace a more ideological kind of debate, who, who are willing to take one side of, of a debate that Naturally, the industry would kind of attract people who are a little bit more crowd, you know, try to make people, 
matchmakers, if you will. Uh, and so maybe that's why uh, the industry sometimes lacks a little bit of uh, honesty is people are just too afraid well, to upset their clients, you know? Well, I mean, it's, I think it's a good point. And I don't believe that we want recruiters, as I mentioned before, to try and be provocative or try and be controversial or to be profane or to push the boundaries in that way. I don't think that's what I'm saying. And I don't even advise, you know, I started blogging when I was running my recruitment company. I mean, I was actually working for Aquent at the time, which is an American digital marketing. I was the CEO, international CEO. And then out of that, we started, uh, we did a management buyout and I was running my own company, Firebrand. And we had to build that brand. This was in about 2010. We had to build that brand without any money because it was a startup. And we're in 10 countries, right? So we did it using what was at that stage, the beginnings of social media almost. And it was very successful. And at that point, I was much more careful about the things that I would say because I was trying to build a recruitment business. I'm still very careful about the things that I say, but I'm not that concerned if someone doesn't agree with it. I think that a, a recruiter doesn't have to be provocative. With it. The secret is that most people go on social media, Max, to, with the mindset, what can I get from it? Which I understand. What can I get? Jobs, you know, fame, <laughs> You actually want to go on with the mindset, what can I give? Generosity is the fundamental plank upon which a social media brand is built. And, you know, I spend hours preparing blogs every week, hours with videos, hours answering questions. And yes, there is something in it for me, as I've explained, but you give to get yeah. and giving insights, connecting people, sharing uh, information with people. That's how you build a brand. And I don't think you are, in fact, still being a people pleaser by doing that, if that's the avenue you want to look at it from. I'm really referring to people who post pictures of cats and try and compare them to a recruiter's life. And I mean, you know, for fuck's yeah. sake. No, yeah. And on LinkedIn, if anytime I see something with more than 5,000 likes, you know, alarm bells go off. It's like, you know, yeah. this is clickbait stuff. And it, it, yeah. it pisses me off personally. There's, there's a lot of that going on. Great. Well, I hope it's not like there's a lot of thought leaders, quote unquote, thought leaders in the industry. And we don't want to encourage every single recruiter out there to do that either. Of course, uh, you, you can be a listener. You don't all have to grab a mic like I did. But for me, I get great joy out of talking to people like you, Greg, and everybody else who comes on my show. And it's an opportunity for me to travel without traveling in a year when I've been locked in. And this year has been a transition in the recruitment industry, which used to be a lot of in-person meetings and a lot of you know, building on re relationships, whether you're doing executive level hiring or you're talking to your customers, most of that is gone now. So I've read an article on the, in the Harvard Business Review that said that the new leaders of the post-COVID world have more introspective or more introverts and are better at writing and more analytical. So, you know, kind of not the traditional qualities we would we would imagine from your prototypical recruiter. Would you agree with those state, you know, with that assessment? And what do you think are some of the qualities that are necessary in 2021 for a recruiter to thrive? I think there's a natural tendency to view leadership through the prism of where we are right now. And you've got to understand that uh, we all have to understand that we're on a journey. You know, I, I, when COVID started and people were saying to me after a month or two, how far are we through it? And I, through it? And I'd say, 
wrote a blog on it actually i'd say look i don't know but i reckon we're on a marathon and a marathon 42 kilometers and if you want me to tell you my feeling is we're on kilometer five everyone was like shocked it's a and and you know in this country we we have in my state new south wales 10 million people we've had zero cases of covid for 23 days straight there is no one in the state with covid not one human being there might be one in lock in um quarantine but they they're going to come from overseas so we're having meetings i'm in my client's office today i've had a meeting oh. all morning we can go and see people right so you know uk all different countries are different places. So my point is to say that harvard business review that said that no i don't agree with that i actually think that a good leader right now in my city for example is actually coaching and mentoring people to get back out in front of people here's the irony the differentiator in recruitment down now is those people who do go and engage right because um, it can be on zoom can be on the telephone, can hardly be by email, but it's better face-to-face. Not everybody, but selectively. And we can do that. And so leadership, to my mind, is, if you want me to sum it up, leadership coming out of post-COVID is a cocktail, a blend of empathy mixed with accountability. Like, so I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In the middle of COVID, one of my clients said to his staff, they're all at home. They're all working from home. It was difficult. He just said, my message to you all is do your best. And I took him to task. I said, what kind of leadership is that? It's like saying to someone who's about to run out in the Rugby World Cup final, a player, and say, my advice to you is do your best. I mean, for God's sake, he's going to do his best. They're all doing their best. <laughs> what we needed was greater clarity around what does, in this environment, what does best look like? What, what should I achieve by tonight? And that may have been different things from pre-COVID where we'd like you to have made two placements. Now we'd just like you to have engaged with 10 candidates, had a conversation with 10 clients or whatever it was, right? So empathy for the situation, definitely. And we need more of that. But outcomes, (laughs) leadership is about outcomes. So people actually, the irony is instead of saying just do your best, you, you actually need more measurements now. Helping people to understand what a good day, week or month looks like and giving them the nurturing, mentoring, and understanding that they're going through different stages of stress to do that. So I think that's what leadership looks like, and I think it will evolve. You know, the big thing that I'm conscious of is that we've, if it's, I hate to use the word good and COVID in the same sentence, Max, but if anything good came out of COVID, it's the opportunity for us to reinvent our business. You know, I'm encouraging my clients to look at every step in their business, and I think I said this to you in the intro, let's slaughter sacred cows. People are scared of the word to reinvent their business or to disrupt the word that's overused. What disruption means to me is small steps of incremental change. So let's look at why do we, prior to COVID, we filled one job out of four. Why is that? What could we do differently? You know, what changes can we make to improve the outcomes? And that's what leadership is about, to reinvent. And some recruitment companies will thrive post-COVID. Others will flounder. And it's all about reinvention and, 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 and changing the way we operate, I believe. And that's leadership. And that's not going to take just empathy and introspection and, mm. and being analytical. Trust me, those are good skills, but that's not leadership. I completely disagree. I may have misunderstood the... the and who am I to disagree with the Harvard Review? I'm sure they're very no, smart. Well. On the other hand, I doubt, I doubt they've run very many recruitment companies, and I've done a lot. <laughs> no, they were talking about a style of management, I would say rather than specific to what recruiters need, but it was a style of management that worked best. When you're not 
you know, when you're in the office and you've got a team of people listening to you to have a loud voice and a big presence can help, but those attributes are no, no longer as powerful in a world where people don't meet face to face. And new attributes come to the fore. That's all. It's just a slightly tilting towards a different type of, you know, communication style. It seems like you asked, you asked me my opinion, Max, that was it. <laughs> I don't actually look leadership to me is leadership is action. It's what you do that counts. And that has changed just because you can't be in the same room as people. That's what you've got to understand. Of course, introspection is important. Of course, analytics. We need data. We need to understand. Of course, that's important. But does that impact the guy sitting at home with no clients and no candidates? You've got to, leadership is how I impact that person. The conversations I have, the guidance I give, the goals, the feedback, that is where the value is. Mm -hmm. And it might stem from introspection. <laughs> it might stem from analytics. But to that individual, it's how I impact him or her that will decide whether I'm going to uh, get value from the leadership. So I think you know, a lot of leaders sort of focus on themselves, like how am I behaving? We really, you've got to focus on the impact on the other person, because that after all is leadership, is how it impacts the other person for the greater good. That's, mm -hmm. We should think more about that. I cannot disagree with you on this one, 100%. Very easier said than done. But yeah, absolutely. What, what are some of the other uh, sacred cows we want to slaughter in 2021? There's many. By the way, it is easier said than done. But if it was easy, Max, all the stupid and lazy people would be rich, wouldn't they? It's fucking hard running a recruitment business. It's very hard being a leader. And responding by saying it's difficult is not really... You know, I had a conversation with people the other day. They say, in this country, we've gone from a job-poor market to a candidate-poor market. We've got shortages of candidates. Recruiters are complaining. I'm saying... That is nirvana. Having a shortage of candidates, we should be dancing in the streets because that is where we can show our value. You know, it's no, no good complaining about having a shortage of candidates. What you've got to do is become the world champion in finding candidates because that's what clients will pay for. A shortage of jobs is the beginning of the end. You know, we'll starve and die. But a shortage of candidates, if you're good, you'll thrive. But you asked about disruption. I think we should be looking at the way we pay recruiters, commission bonuses. I think we should be looking at Measurement and KPIs, KPIs and, and micromanaging have got these awful connotations to them, mostly because they're badly delivered. It's a leadership issue. The concept of measuring, there is no one who's good at anything they do who doesn't measure their performance. You think footballers and all the other top performers around the world don't measure what they do and then try and improve those things? We should have that in recruitment. But the problem is old style delivery by management is everyone has the same KPI. The KPIs never change. They're often not reflecting the market needs. So that's a leadership issue. We should be reinventing the way we market our businesses. We should be much stronger social branding. We've talked about it for years, but people don't do it. We should be looking at reviews and how do we manage those reviews. We should be looking at connecting with people and creating opportunities. You know, the whole point of marketing <clears throat> is sales. <laughs> Sometimes you have to sort of just slap people across the face, figuratively, Max and say, you know, marketing isn't about a nice brand or a pretty logo. Marketing is about whether it opens doors for our recruiters to engineer sales. And so we need to think of it from that point of view. Other areas that we could look at disrupting is how we train and coach people. Work from home needs examination. And so does what can, the structure. Should I have consultants doing 360, you know, everything? Or should I have sales 
and delivery or should I have candidate and client, uh, we should reinvent how we tackle the temporary and contract business. Yeah, it is a massive. I've just done a five and a half an hour webinar on this, which is actually a commercial enterprise. You have to pay to watch a series of it. And that's on this topic. So yeah, I think people who don't know you by now have a good idea of the depth of of your, your expertise on the recruiting industry. And if they want to get more, they can go to gregsavage.com.au. And is there another place uh, for them to connect uh, with you? Yeah, thanks for thank, look. Uh, yeah, gregsavage.com.au is, is a good start. And then of course, I'm on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And I'm, I always accept invites from recruiters. And so thanks for mentioning that. But I'm not really trying to sell any of my products or anything at all. Uh, I kind of actually would prefer not to do so much work. I just would love to see us grab this opportunity to make recruitment, agency recruitment, more functional. You know, it's deeply dysfunctional in many ways. You know, people working in recruitment companies where they fill one job out of five. You think about that, Max. They fill one job out of five. That means they're not filling four out of five, which means they're failing 80% of the time. You know, who, who wants to work in a profession where you fail? You imagine if I went to a brain surgeon and he told me 80% of his operations were a failure or an accountant that said 80% of his tax returns were wrong. They wouldn't blast in business, but we seem to, and the negative is bad service, you know, speed over quality, candidates getting the, the raw end of the deal. So many dysfunctional, I mean, I love recruitment, I've been in it 40 years, don't, don't get me wrong, but I wish, I hope we can use this COVID. If we, I said this in a board meeting this very morning, if we go back, as the market's picking up and we go back and do everything we've ever done before the same way, it'll be such a wasted opportunity. Now's oh, the time. Yeah. And we can all learn from, you know, the, the power of building a brand in, in this day and age is, I think it's amplified uh, compared to two, three years ago, and it can deliver a lot more business value for an agency, for an individual recruiter. Before we, we part ways, Greg, one question I love to ask uh, people is, to take us back to a time when you hired somebody who you thought was going to be a total rainmaker and broke your heart. And if you, you don't have to give us names, but, but tell us the origin of your hiring mistake. Well, you're talking about a guy who's made more hiring mistakes than anyone that you know. <laughs> For you know, almost 40 years of hiring people and I still get involved in hiring decisions and it's a very difficult thing to do. There are hundreds of those cases but fortunately there are uh, i will tell you a story there fortunately there are cases the other way around as well but i'll tell you a story about a woman called i will mention her name her name is julia ross oh no julia, julia. Ross, <laughs> yeah so julia ross i'd started recruitment solutions in the early 80s mid 80s late 80s and it was three years in we were flying we'd built 13 million dollars worth of revenue we had five offices and we were doing accounting recruitment and julia ross lost her job wherever she was i think it was a Alfred Marx, this is going, you've got to be over 20 to know any of these names. Anyway, she, over 20 years in the industry. I mean. So she came to see me and she said, I'm looking for a job. And I will build a business support, clerical, secretarial, we call it in those days. Secretarial, business support, recruitment business, leveraging off your clients. I'm good at it. I've gone on well with her and I thought she was impressive. And then I got my two colleagues to see her, my two partners who started the business with me. And they said, Greg, she's good. We should hire her. And I wisely said, no, I don't think Julia Ross can build a business support recruitment company. And I, I didn't tell her that, but I turned her down. And she went out and started her own business and built a company about 10 times bigger than mine and listed it on the stock exchange and became a zillionaire. 
so good old Greg, what an expert he is. So, you know, you, you get those situations. But plenty of times, and I remember hiring somebody to run, I've got to be careful because I don't want to identify anyone. He run one of my overseas when I, when I had offices around the world and I was convinced he was the right guy. I got on with him well. He was a rugby player and a rugby fan and that just endeared him to me because I, I, I love the game. And when I look back, I put more stock on that than anything else, right? And he was a disaster. He wasn't any good. And I hadn't done my due diligence. And I'd ignored the warning signs that were niggling at me. Every time, Max, I've hired someone with something niggling in my belly about it being wrong, it's turned out to be wrong. And, and in this industry, we often say, oh, let's give it a go. He'll be right. What are the odds uh, you would have made that mistake if this person was not a rugby player? I think I would not have made the mistake. I would have been, you know, this is a long time ago, and I can look back at it with clarity, but, but I think I would have seen the flaws. I convinced myself he was the right guy. We got on well. He's a nice guy. Of course. And he had done some good things, but he couldn't do that size of that job. But I convinced myself that he was one, you know, and I think, and actually it leads on to a much more serious topic. It leads on to a topic about diversity hiring and, you know, I had a conversation with my brother 10 or 15 years ago, which changed my view. He said, we were talking about promoting women into jobs. And uh, I said at that time, I have never discriminated against a woman for a promotion in my life. And I was convinced I was right. And he said, well, maybe that's true. But Greg, how many times have you and other men said about a young man, he's a good lad, let's give him a chance. He's not ready, but let's give him a chance. You've said that, right? I said, yes. He said, how many times have you said that about a woman? And this was 10 or 15 years ago. And since then, I've consciously said, yeah, she's not ready, but she's got potential and with help, she'll do it. And I put them in those roles. And I've actually backed three recruitment companies run by women like that, that have all gone on to be greatly successful. I can tell you who they are. Consult Recruitment in, in New Zealand. We just sold it to a Japanese company. Put from three people to 50 women owner. People to people in Melbourne. We started with Erin Devlin. She put them, and they were women in exactly that. Style. I wasn't hiring them, or I did hire Erin. I was backing them, investing in them, or hiring them. And it was consciously saying, "Hold on, if this was a guy, you'd say he's a good person with potential. Let's back them." And that is uh, getting onto dangerous ground. But that's where I think men can play a huge role in getting this thing equalised. Mm-hmm. You've got to not only say, "I don't discriminate." You actually happily, weirdly, almost, I won't say reverse discriminate, but you've got to look for opportunities to promote people who otherwise wouldn't get them. And I think that is where we can make a difference. But it's also self-serving because you end up with the best people doing the best things. You identify your own biases and whether that's... Work against uh, them. Whether you work against your biases, whether it's the love of rugby or your faith in young male talent, then you got to go look for the opposite of that. And great opportunities will will unfold, will arise for you. Absolutely. You said, let's work against our biases. Next time, Greg, you're interviewing somebody who is a rugby player, maybe let your colleagues take the lead. Of course, you've learned that lesson 15 years ago. And thanks for coming to the show and sharing your insights. And I'm sure you've won a few new followers with this episode. Thanks, Max. I will end up by just reminding you that if you've got two equal people in equal in every, every respect, go with the one who likes rugby. That will be the right one. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I'm kidding. Who better to advise us on how to build our personal brand than Greg Savage? Really enjoyed uh, what he had to share on the topic and the encouragement I hope that you all got as well as I did. 
to be bold, to be honest, and to be consistent over the, a long period of time. Best way to build your personal brand and a wonderful tool for anyone in recruitment to start using now. If you enjoyed this content, uh, there's more like it on the Recruitment Hackers podcast. Please subscribe and share with friends.